0: Asia Folkman and Dan Epan spent more than 10 years playing anthemic alt-rock together as two-thirds of the iconic band Nico Vega. Over that decade of tours, recording sessions, and label deals, they forged an artistic partnership that endures to today. After announcing Nico Vega's hiatus in 2016, they're back as a duo simply named Two, Their debut record, Pull the Knife Out, heralds the confident start of their new era. Sparked by Volkman's since-revoked separation from her husband, Dan Reynolds, of Imagine Dragons, the writing process dredged up seven tracks worthy of meditations on pain, reconciliation, and womanhood. It's something Volkman has grappled with all the more as a mother of four in the midst of the hashtag MeToo movement. Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and today I am super thrilled to have Asia Folkman and Dan Epan from The Band 2 on the show. Welcome, you two.
1: Hello.
2: Thank you. Hi. Thanks, Doug. Thank you for having us.
0: You guys formed The Band 2, and it's kind of a sequel, if you will, to your former band. Maybe you could tell me a little bit sort of about how... You guys have been playing together for a long time, but how did this come to be? And you're a new band, but we know your work.
2: Dan, why don't you take that one?
1: Man, I mean, I suppose it is a a continuation or chapter two. You know, it's, uh, I mean, Asia and I, we've been making music together for for 10 years or so. You become a family, it's kind of like uh, siblings. Like any, any family, there's just like life is a little bit of a roller coaster and, and you have, you kind of go through different, different periods in life and you, you grow and you change and you evolve separately and then you evolve together. And it's a roller coaster in that way. And we just, you know, we were in a band called Nico Vega. We spent a lot of years writing, recording, touring. We would sit in the back of a van. And I used to say that I would hang out with Asia during the day and I'd hang out with Rich, the Nico Vega guitar player at night. During the day, Asia and I, we would just talk life and, you know, she'd be reading some kind of self-help book and we would get deep. And then at night I'd go get wasted with Rich. So, you know, that was the experience. And, you know, we had a lot of fun, but we definitely, in if you want to take the word grounded out, we grinded it out literally and you know we just kind of hit a place where we needed a break and we took a break and you know asia and i stayed really close during the years even though we were kind of doing different things she was doing solo stuff i was starting to produce and and write on my own and working with other people and she just called me up one day and you know asia is just one of those people when she there is an urgency when she really wants to do anything if you're an artist you're always looking. There's a lot of times where you're just channeling that yourself. But when somebody else has that, it's intoxicating. And she rang me up and she was going through something really heavy in her life. And she wanted to write. And I just know her so well. I knew she meant business. So I hopped on an airplane, flew to Las Vegas where she was living. And yeah, I mean, we wrote you know three or four songs in that two-day period we didn't kind of know what it was going to be, but I mean, it's kind of in that moment, we kind of named the band and it just kind of all took shape. Yeah. And then we kind of sat on the music for a little bit. She got right after we wrote all these songs, she got pregnant. <laughs> and <laughs> so, uh, you know, so it didn't seem like the time to release music when she was pregnant, especially because the music was kind of coming from such a, a ferocious emotional place it didn't really mesh with where she was at in her life in that moment so she had her baby and then the pandemic hit all of a sudden it was just like you know what this is let's just who cares let's let it out let's do it let's not sit on it let's you know you're as as an artist and I think a lot of artists have struggled with that at the first stage of the pandemic is is you know you're waiting for the perfect moment When everything lines up and it's time to release your music and it's, we're in like a period of chaos right now. And there's no right answer. There's no solution. So I think our attitude was like, let's just have zero expectations. We didn't know if people would care about Nico Vega at this point. It'd been a few years. So it was really just kind of coming from a really pure place where it was like, let's have no expectations. Let's let it rip and see if anybody cares. And not really worried too much about the outcome.
0: That's where we're at right now. That's well said. Your first album is Pull the Knife Out?
2: Mhm.
0: We're going to talk about some songs, but we're also going to talk about some of the Nico Vega songs that you wrote.
1: See what we can remember.
0: One of the songs that you wrote became kind of a controversial song because it's a song called Beast. And the Trump administration embraced it and used it in video. And you guys sent out what I thought was an incredibly diplomatic press release saying, please don't do that. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, Tell me about
1: that experience. I'll keep it short because I'd love to hear what Asia has to say. But I think the tricky thing is at this point, it's like we've all had those arguments. You know, you can't change anybody's mind. And I've you know I've spent a couple years trying to change people's mind and realized that that was a waste of energy. And I'm sure we all have people that we love who have kind of gone down the Trump rabbit hole to the point where you have a little bit of empathy because it's not it's not it's, it's smart people. You know, and it's so much of it is the community, the people that are around, where they're getting the news. And, and to the point where it's like being angry at them does not help anybody. So I don't know. I think we both and we both have tried to look at it as if we're going to try and heal, if we're going to try and bring people back together, maybe pointing the finger isn't the solution.
2: I agree. You know, we. I think Dan and I have sort of a similar unique perspective on it coming from this industry also so many things you you can put a target on your back and then you actually just invite so much toxic energy when you lash out or do something that is very like with so much accusation or you know conviction about this is how it is and you are the bad guy or something you know i think We've both experienced the backlash of toxicity, of hate that is available, readily available to so many on social media. And I don't want to invite that into my, my life and my reality. And I also feel like Dan said, my experience is that change comes from within and also from, I think, from camaraderie like i think that when you you change because you feel inspired by something to do something different and you see a better way and an evolution in something and so when you're mudslinging it's not an invitation to have any sort of evolution anyway and it's also very self-righteous in my opinion to believe that you know why someone thinks the way they think and has The opinions that they have, because we all come from different backgrounds and upbringings. And when you walk the shoes of someone else from the beginning to the place where they land, you have a much better understanding as to why they make the decisions that they make and have the perspective that they have. And I prefer to honor that and respect that journey with trust in a sense of not necessarily it's my way, but It's that person's way. They've done the best of their ability to reach, you know, where they've landed. And I'm not saying that I condone anything that in my view feels negative or hard or, but I just feel that it's a part of the evolution and we're still on the, in the process. And like, we're not where we need to be in order to have a safe and wonderful and loving and nurturing community. And hopefully we can get there someday before we destroy the entire planet and each other and all living things. But I'm very patient with the process because I do believe in evolution, the evolution. I do believe in a higher perspective. And I do believe that, you know, all of the things that we're experiencing right now, it's like we're pushing humanity forward. And it does take a certain amount of resistance to have a certain amount of growth. And I think That's just my perspective. So I'm not here to like tell someone that the way they see the world is false, because I just think that's more of the same junk that we've had for so long. But I guess what I feel is like I'm always reaching for a higher truth for myself and I'm always reaching for a higher perspective for myself. And I hope that can inspire my children and the people around me to always reach for a higher truth and a higher perspective. And I'm always trying to connect and I like to do that with music and give people hope and love. And that's my job. You know, it hurts me when people, when I say anything online that someone lashes out, we're not asking for your opinion. Just shut up and make your music. There's a lot of that out there. And I'm like, oh man, it's crazy that when you're an artist and you put yourself out there, you're expected to just be this vessel of something enjoyable, I guess. (laughs) And you can't really take the reins and, and form your own opinions or, but I've also learned that like Dan said, I'm not here to, you know, push someone to be something they're not ready to be. And I'm not here to, it's not my decision, what you do with your life. Like, you know, I can have my feelings and opinions about it, but I'm not, I'm not here to control another person. And that's ultimately my feeling, I guess. So I don't know if that even answered any of the questions that you asked, about Mm -hmm. the Trump song and the beast and whatever, but I don't take it personal, you know?
0: Well, I think it's helpful. I mean, the opening line of the song, stand tall for the beast of America. No one's really used that phrase before, I don't think in a song, which is why your songwriting is so unique. And wonderful. But what is the beast of America?
2: Well, this is a really good conversation to have about this song, because I wrote this, that phrase, um, let's see, 15, 16 years ago. And I was 24 years old when I wrote that. So the thing that I can tell you is that I'm a very different person now than I was then. And I have no idea what I was thinking that day when I walked into the studio but that's what came out of me. And, you know, I can tell you the feeling of the song for me. A lot a lot of my music is about feeling and the words just kind of line up with the cadence of the rhythm and the motions and the, all of it just kind of comes together in a, a flow. And that flow is always about what the feeling in my heart is. And I know the feeling I felt when I wrote that song was empowerment. It was togetherness. It was standing up for your neighbor and loving someone regardless of where they came from and who they are and learning how to support, you know, your fellow neighbor and really like the monster. We're like, I don't know. I guess the, your fellow neighbor is not the monster, you know, like the monster is like, there's bigger things happening. You know, there's, I guess there's just bigger things at play that I feel like, like why, like we're, we're sitting here like stabbing each other in the organs. And it's like, what, a, you know, there's a bigger suppressive powers that are like, I don't know, controlling our worlds and societies. And, you know, the people at the top with like the money and the power and the, suppression that rains down on everyone. And why are we like attacking each other? You know, like that's kind of where the song came from. So I guess when someone uses it to like pit, my issue with Trump using it in that way was more that it was like fueling a very divisive perspective was irritating to me because the song is about coming together regardless of you know, religious beliefs, regardless of political beliefs, like recognizing, like, you're a person, I'm a person, like, we are both breathing the same air.
0: You know, and I really think the break of the song, which is this primal Native American, African-Caribbean drumbeat, where you profess that you've got to love your neighbor, love your neighbor, and let your neighbor love you back,
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know, in this just sort of primal drumbeat, that to me is kind of because it occurs in the break of the song is this core message that you're trying to get through throughout the whole, like it's the the overwhelming message of the song is in the break. It's buried there in the break, you know, in some ways.
2: Like bursting at the seams and then the seam bursts. Yeah. And at that point in the song, when we were on stage, we would like break and Dan would be playing so hard and I would be dancing so hard and, Rich would do his dances. And it was just like, let it go. Actually, the most important part of that whole phrase, that whole dialogue to me is actually the let your neighbor love you back thing. Because I think that receiving love is like really hard for people, you know? And I think that to me was like, it's not just about loving your neighbor, but it's also about allowing that energy to come back at you, you know?
0: Why do you think it's so hard for people to allow themselves to be loved back?
2: I mean, I think a lot of it probably has to do with the way that we raise our children in society. I think we're going to get better and better at that. But like, you're taught, like, be a big kid, do things, but you know, you don't need help. <laughs> like, we just are taught that from the beginning. And I think we need help. We all do. You know, it's not just be strong and save everyone you know i've spent a lot of my life wanting to like save the world because i just came here that way like whoever i was when i was born i just i had that feeling from a young age of like i just want to help i just want to like help 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 it's about receiving it too you know letting it come back to you letting other people be powerful learning from them and learning what they have to offer and listening listening is also like a big part of receiving and also giving you know as a society, we're starting to wake up to the fact that like, yeah, it's really time to listen. Like there's people that have been suppressed and shut down for so long. And I think in those communities, they're finally hopefully getting a platform to actually be able to be heard and that maybe we can learn something this time around instead of recreating more of the damage. you know. So anyhow, that's what I think.
0: I'm glad you were able to set the record straight about what this song's purpose really is. It seems like the propaganda machine sometimes takes the artist's work in different directions than it perhaps was intended.
2: Yeah. It is actually a very American song, though, you know, in the sense of, come on, let's come together, like, in that sense.
0: You know what I love about your sound? And I totally think there's an Asia sound. Like, you know, a lot of artists they say, "Oh, you you sound like this person or that person," or and I'm sure you might have inspiration from you know I don't know Patty Smith or Joan Jett or something, you know Veruca Salt or something like that. But it's Asia when you hear it. <laughs> it's no other voice sounds like your voice. But I really think this song, you're like the Zac La Roche, the female Zac La Roche, Rage Against the Machine in the video, like asking America to do something and that is to stand tall and love your neighbor and let your neighbor love you back mm. who does not want that message to be heard
2: mm. yeah I mean I feel you thank you for that I I agree
0: I don't know if I'm ranting or raving no or I think <laughs> making that's sense.
2: like <laughs> no thank you and yeah I mean I I feel like it's It's so funny. We kept, when I wrote the song originally, it was like, it's had like five evolutions. (laughs) I swear, every time we're like, it wasn't relevant till now. And then it's like, goes away. And then it's like, oh, but it's relevant now. And then it goes away. I do think it's just always kind of relevant. You know, it's like, we can always grow more, be better, love
0: each other more. You know why Donald Trump picked it or his team picked it? Do I know why? No, no.
1: Dan, do you know why? I mean, I think I know why. I think it's, you know, that's... The song was written for the... You know, I think at the time, to, to kind of channel where Asia was coming from with the lyrics, like, it was written for the oppressed.
2: Yeah. Like, the underdog of society.
1: The underdog. And the irony of the Trump message is that, you know, white males are the oppressed. <laughs> and so... To me, it's like, that's kind of the irony. Well, that was why it made me sick to my stomach at the time is it's just um, that I think that that kind of says it all. But what what is your thought, Doug?
0: My interpretation, and I don't usually extend my interpretation on the show, but I think they picked up on the line, keep it real for the people working overtime. They can't stand living off the government's dime. Mm. And that's number one. And number two is their nickname for the limousine, it was the Beast. So when they were driving around in their Secret Service protected limousine, they were in the Beast. (laughs) Well. And so they identified with the Beast uh, of America.
1: Yeah, it is funny because my dad actually reminded me that one of the issues that we had with the song when we were, you know, kind of going through the the radio rounds was people were confused about whether, you know, kind of what side of politics we were coming down on, you know, some people saw it as like this kind of right-wing nationalist idea. I mean, I think some of those lines that you just mentioned, you know, and I totally forgot about that, but that was kind of one of the things that, it's not the first time that people were confused about what the message really meant and who we were speaking to. And I mean, that's, I mean, I guess the goal of art is for it to be open term interpretation and who are we to tell people what, you know, the song should mean to them. But, you know, when you're going to get into something where that video is used to promote that January 6th rally, and when you kind of see what the kind of evil I'll use that word. I mean, and just kind of what was behind it all. You just kind of have to put your foot down.
2: I would say also as a writer, I've sort of become more literal over the years. And I think I listened to some of my earliest material and there's so much fantasy, like intertwined in how I would tell a story. Sometimes it's hard for me to even go back and follow my own wavelength. (laughs) Be like, what was that word representing? Like, what was I thinking right there? And it's interesting. Cause I do love that. Cause there's like such a poetry and it is kind of like, I'm, I guess the way that I would say things sometimes I'm, I'm like, it's intriguing for me because as I've become more trained by defaults and also just being like constantly writing with my husband or being writing around him or like hearing his writing. And it's been a lot of like training that I just, I think that, it's sort of sad sometimes because I even listened to like my melody work and my early material and just the language and the melodies like were so untrained and like so free to just like it's like doodling, you know, versus like then you go to training and you become like a figure painter, you know, or something like I miss that because now there's like so many formulas ingrained in me and I just know. Too much, and I have to like really let go to be creative with my own writing. And sometimes it comes way more fluidly. Sometimes it does just channel out of me, and it is so creative and so fun. Other times I'm like, oh, I can't like get out, break away from like my own rigidity, you know. And I think when I listen back to like that early work, even when we're talking about the lyrics of Beast, I'm like, oh, I just miss, I miss that kind of like freedom in the songwriting and the music and even the melody writing and like just letting go and like whatever came out ended up in the song instead of like okay let's rework this 15 times to make sure it makes sense i don't write that way really anyway that's probably why i'm always like pulling away from that you know because i don't like the formula there's a certain amount of <laughs> i don't know freedom lost when you become trained in something or you've done it so long you know and i think I just miss it sometimes. I miss that. I like the early material for those reasons sometimes, you know.
0: Save big money now on
1: new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding.
3: Relentless in the way that you ask me So many questions of my days in the city I wish that I could tell you something But I'm a hostage of my pride I'm an Iron Man
0: Let's talk about a song that's a very, very different stylistic song. It's a song about Tony Stark called Iron Man.
3: (laughs)
2: Uh, uh, um, (laughs) You know, one of the reasons I actually thought this would be a fun song to discuss, because this was an example of me breaking out of like my hometown and then writing a letter like to my parents. Before I, I feel like I was fully developed into not that I'm ever going to be fully developed into who I am, but I think I was like on such a journey of like needing to prove something still on this journey of breaking away and making my own and having nothing and learning how to like build something for myself. And I'm going to be this thing and I'm going to prove to you that I can, I'm who I am. And that, you know, it's that it was such a letter. That song.
0: (laughs) So it's not a song about Tony Stark?
2: No, that's a song written to my parents. Yeah.
0: It's a love note to your parents?
2: It was like a pain note to my parents.
0: A pain note, right? Because it's in this minor key and it's like a slow...
2: It's just kind of like this relationship to parents where it's like you break away and then you're trying to figure out who you are and they're like worried about you and always asking you like, okay, so what's happening now? Like, what have you set up for yourself now? Is there anything else? Like, how's music going? What's happening? <laughs> Are you going to, is something going to happen? Are you, <laughs> you're just like grinding and grinding and grinding and counting the pavement. And I don't think my parents will ever have an, a real insight into how hard I, of a worker I actually am or was because I didn't live at home for any of that, you know? And so I think that the exhaustion from trying to make this thing happen and have to then constantly check in with the people that are worried about you that are like, I don't know if you should keep going down this path because it's just not really working out. You know, that's where that song came from.
0: I come from a big family of seven kids and my youngest brother said, you can only go home to visit the parents for three days. The first day, it's all hugs and kisses and how wonderful it is to see you. The second day is, so what are you up to? And the third day is they realize they're your parents and they can give you unsolicited advice nonstop. That is
2: actually brilliant.
0: (laughs) Then it's time to go back.
2: I would say that's actually brilliant because I do actually remember feeling like, man, three days is perfect. Like I actually have had that thought before. Longer than three is like, it turns into like, I used to have like panic attacks when I would go home and stay for too long and and an identity crisis because I would be like, I don't know who I am right now. I'm back here again and I'm trying to be the person that I know these people see me as. I'm kind of carving this whole new path and it's this whole new mentality and structure and way of living. And then I'm coming back to this and I'm like, got to explain it. And then I'm like, Having a crisis because I'm not even acting like my new self. I I fall back into my old patterns and I'm all of a sudden, I need someone to take care of me again. Or it's that kind of thing. Like you're always the child until you maybe I think that that all changes when you actually become a parent too, because I do feel like your parents look at you and they're like, okay, it's real for you now. (laughs) But when you're trying to prove that in your like 20s, you're like, I'm going to make it. I promise you, like, I'm going to there's going to be evidence that something (laughs) works at some point. Me not again and again, not really having any of that evidence, you know, and which is like such a part of my own existential journey was to like, get to this place where it's not about them. You know, it's not about like anyone else, me proving anything to anyone. It's about getting okay with you.
0: What does it mean to you Asia to be an iron man?
2: Oh man. For me, that was like, like the sensitivity. That I have to everything in life, which is like any artist, I f- feel pretty much learning how to navigate that and maybe to have boundaries where you can protect yourself. And that maybe for me at the time was being an Iron Man, you know?
0: Why didn't you write Iron Woman? Like, why didn't you see yourself as this Joan of Arc?
2: This is like actually a tricky conversation because I really respect everyone's viewpoint on like gender. But I don't, like, through my own self, like, I don't feel that labels are needed. And I've never really felt that way. So when people would be like, why isn't it a woman? I would be like, mm, I don't know. It was irritating. It was always irritating to me to be like, put, like, woman in there. I don't know why.
0: You and your husband have been, like, the leaders of defending the LGBTQ rights in the state of Utah and perhaps nationwide in some respects with the work you've done?
2: I think, you know, I, I like to call, we like to call ourselves allies because I think one of the things we both are very sensitive to is like, we're not taking this movement as like, this is my movement, I'm the authority on this because I, I am just a friend of the community and, and an ally.
0: Yeah, you're not the leaders in it. You're friends supporting the cause.
2: Yes, we are like here to like lift up and support and love and give a safe space and I think and create more safe space. And I think I've always had like a lot of, I just, I love people. So I guess anytime I see something where I'm like, people are being poorly and fairly untreated and policed by other people, it really is hard for me. Hard for me to like let that go because I just love people and I feel like people deserve to like live their own journey and have their freedoms. And as long as they're not hurting other people and hopefully not hurting themselves, you know, I really believe in like the freedom to figure out your journey, you know?
0: Dan, there's one musical thing in this song that I just love because I know you are the percussionist, but is the simple triangle note.
1: God, uh, it's been a long time. You know what's... Oh, my gosh. Oh,
2: I know what you're talking about, yeah. Oh,
1: So, you know what's really funny? So, that was not a triangle note. That was this bell. We were at Linda Perry's studio. (laughs) So, I don't even know if there would be a way for you to hear this because this version no longer exists on Spotify or any streaming service. You would have to have the original nico vega self-titled cd we thought like secret tracks were a cool thing so there is a secret track where i continue playing that bell and i Improv the song about the bells chiming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dan plays the bell.
2: Wait, can you redo it? I don't. I know you remember. I can barely remember it.
1: Better than that is, I will send it to you.
2: No, 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 no. I want you to sing it. You can't sing it.
1: <laughs> the bells are chiming. The bells, the bells. That's right. <laughs> but 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 I also did this thing where I purposely cracked my voice, and everyone just thought it was because I was no, a really that bad was not on
2: purpose. That was an accident. I'll do it again today.
1: <laughs> the bells are chiming. The bells. <laughs> so that was how our record ended. But I'm sure you had another question regarding that. But I do remember even like when we were having that song mixed there was a moment where we focused on that bell hit and kind of getting the the right reverb and right level.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's just like one of these wonderful things in the melody that just accentuates the lyric and the moment of the song. And it like stands out and surprises you and reinforces the feeling. And a lot of songwriting is about trying to communicate a feeling through this marriage of words and sounds And when you hear like a Linda Perry saying, why don't you go bang that bell right here? Just one time. Don't do it more than that.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, I think that's kind of the cool thing about percussion kind of coming up when you're, you know, a a session musician and you're learning percussion. It's, It's really not overplaying and, you know, not just dropping stuff all over a track. I mean, it's like, I mean, as you said it, like that—that that one moment, it's this, you know, little hanging bell, and it's something that you you noticed, and it's something that becomes an integral, like, memorable hook in the production.
0: This song has some great lines in it, and especially now that I understand that it's a a, a note to your parents, and I'm a sheep when it comes to explaining, and I'm afraid of the thoughts that you're making, and then my favorite is, I wish that I could know the difference between your smiles and frowns and that one is like I think that's how every kid thinks their parent is looking at them whereas every parent thinks they're either smiling or frowning to the kid
1: (laughs) yeah we are now I'm a parent you know we are it's it's true
0: yeah (laughs) you give the look like I'm not smiling and I'm not frowning (laughs) you figure it out what I'm doing here yeah, yeah yeah
1: Yeah. It's like a a balance of like, of awe at what you created and then questions about, you know, how you both, you know, as a team managed to fuck it up.
2: Yeah. Or, and as an adult, like going to your parents, it's hard to tell when it's like, they're encouraged and excited. And really, if they like it, (laughs) I've been a pretty obscure musician at times in my life. And I think There were several times where it was also like, do they hear me? Do they understand it? Is it like too much? I can't get a read of like, do they get it? Is it good to them? Do you think this is crap? I can't tell, you know? Like, And then I think as I've developed even more into an adult, my relationship with them is so different now. I think they really see me clearly and understand me more. And I think they're more expressive now, I think, maybe because it's also not hanging on my survival anymore your parents can't help but be worried when you're younger and they're like, um, okay, this is really cool. It's not probably gonna make a million dollars.
0: I'm going to make a million dollars for you guys because I'm going to be your song pitch master right now. I'm going to ask the Disney Marvel people to use this as the theme song to the next <laughs> Iron Man movie. Okay. Robert Downey will endorse this. Look, every Bond movie started with a great song. This is as great a song to start the Iron Man Movie franchise that you will ever ever find the people at Disney Marvel, okay. And I want my audience to send this to the Disney Marvel people with their Twitter and Instagram and Facebook support around that idea.
2: You are so sweet. It's funny, I think we thought like even when we wrote Iron Man, it was like soon after that, at some point, I think was the first Iron Man movie. And I remember this conversation has been floating around for so long. So many years. You're like, man, if they just would have used this for the actual movie, it would have been. It also would have brought this like cool contrast to like, because it is a very sad song too, and it, he's probably pretty sad, you know.
0: <laughs> Tony Stark is a complex, sad character. Exactly. I was like, maybe this is perfect for him, right? <laughs> he's a hostage to his pride. He has all the things that this song talks about. And I want this in the next movie. And that's the end of this song discussion. Let's talk about one of my favorite songs of your Nico Vega era and work, and that's Gravity.
2: I wanted to bring that one up, especially because it's probably one of my favorites too. And I just have you seen the video? The video is so it's just so much fun. Like
0: really? I thought it was so dark.
2: Oh my gosh. Okay. I thought it was, it was- really
0: disturbing when that that guy with the 1960s film camera punches you in the face. I'm like,
2: ah! It was so much fun to film and it was also done by a great director who is like, it's funny because he's actually like a, he like, his specialty is like these horror films. So that's probably where like the gore came from, but I love that video so much. And Maybe it's because I'm a little twisted. Like
0: It's a very twisted video. There's no question. Because you're trapped in this elevator and you're with these men and they're kind of like from the 1960s. It's got this mad men feel and they're like grinding their hands and you could just feel something's going to happen. And you think it's going to be like this hashtag me too moment. The guy bashes you in the face. I know.
2: I can't show my children the video because it really looks like I'm getting beaten up, you know, like bad. Um, it was all kind of special effects. Like the bottles that they smashed on my back were like made for that, you know. And so it wasn't real glass bottles, but they did hurt when they shattered. We were really beaten up by the end of that video. We were like beaten up. I remember. But it was it was so fun to film. And like we had a bunch of our friends in it. So a bunch of the people wrestling us and stuff are like friends.
0: That's not what the song no, is no, about. No, no, that's <laughs> not what the song is about.
2: <laughs> It actually is kind of, because it was like about, I want to say like the big superpowers that kind of loom over society, like the top of the pyramid at the time, I guess, in my brain holding you down. And then also about kind of like, at the time it was, let me think, I have to really go back into my little psyche, but it was about like not being sort of held back by other people's limitations you know, and words have gravity. Like they hold weight. That was the whole point. Like the song is about words. It's about like, I was big into talking about suppression all the time. Like that was like a big part of my vocabulary back then. And so it comes out now when we're talking about these songs, but things that hold you back and hold you down, you know, and keep you from being like the bigger, more expressive, explosive version of yourself That was a big part of like Nico Vega's message from the very beginning. I think our first EP before Dan even joined the band was called Choose Your Words Poorly. And it was like kind of a play on just, you know, not censoring yourself as much, you know? And then we had like paint. We were kind of like, it was a picture of us looking like censored. Um, Paint across our mouths, like our mouths were painted shut or something.
0: The chorus is kind of call and response-ish and very anthemic. And your live shows, this is, I believe, one of the more popular songs with a lot of audience participation. But one of the lines is, na-na-na-na-na-na-na. You could do it better than I (laughs) 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 Of course. That's not words. You're you're saying (laughs) na-na-na.
2: Na-na-na-na-na. Yeah. I think I did a lot of that in music as well.
0: Does that just come to you? Like, this is where I need a na-na-na and a whoa and a woo. -woo.
2: It's like a rhythmic, fun change up and like creative little departure from the expected.
0: I do
1: remember that that was uh, not the original chorus. And that was from somebody like, I can't remember who challenged us to, or maybe it was just even ourselves, but that wasn't the original chorus.
2: I think Gravity was one of our most fun songs, but part of the reason why I actually thought it would be a good song to talk about was because it was one of the few songs that we actually reworked. And hate reworking music. If you know me, I'm like, this is it it's done. And like, let's move on. Please don't ask me about it.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny. It's funny. She says that because I was, when we were talking about Iron Man, I do remember because we were signed to MySpace records and MySpace Tom.
0: We all know MySpace Tom.
1: For those of you who don't maybe like a a younger generation, like Tom was like, he was like the Mark Zuckerberg of MySpace. But anyways, so we, we actually knew Tom and we went to like dinner with him. It was kind of like, We were pretty stoked on that at the time, but I do remember with Iron Man, he did call Asia up and say, uh, "I really like this song, but I don't really understand what you're trying to say." I'm not telling you what to do, uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, step on your feet as an artist. But could you try to make the lyrics a little more clear? (laughs) And I remember you just being like, "No."
3: (laughs) Oh my my
1: god!
2: It's funny because. This is a good opportunity, actually, to talk about sort of the death of Nico Vega. There was many things that kind of happened. Some of it was also just, it was such hard work and not a lot of, not the response that I felt like we needed to keep it going at the rate that it was going at. And so that was part of it. But a big portion for me was actually like, as soon as we would sign a deal, there was always these voices that would come in and start manipulating the music to make it like more commercial, more marketable. And of course, as a woman in the music industry, and I never even really have thought of what it means to be a woman in the industry, probably because I've there's some part of me that's like in such denial of like, I'm like insistent upon there not being a difference between a woman and a man or something in my own mind. I'm like, nope, it's not because I'm a woman. It's, but there was such a like marketability conversation always going on even a deeper conversation that maybe other people weren't aware of about like what to wear or like at photo shoots, like this needs to look a little different, meaning like let's show a little more sexiness. Like there's more appeal, like make this, she needs to look better, you know, like a lot of that going on, but then also in the music manipulating it to make it more, what's the word? Like
0: radio friendly.
2: Yeah. And just like, yeah, edible, <laughs> edible <laughs> Just like oh. <laughs> or any, not edible, but you know, like, needs to be something that people can like digest understand get on board with and a lot of people need to needs to be more mainstream and so as soon as that started happening and i am like very dan knows that i'm like as hard-headed as i've become over the years i've also it's in my personality to be very compliant as well and be very like i like people to be happy i don't want any i want to like I want to try to do what people are asking of me. And I'm like, don't want to say no. And I'm going to try to say yes. And I'm going to try to always do the thing. And so I really was always reworking and like things to make it more marketable. And, and it ended up kind of killing me actually, <laughs> because I just lost track of myself. Like I couldn't hear my own voice anymore. And then I married someone who's like incredibly prolific and very like Uh, He has a great pop sensibility, obviously, as most people know, like that is very, it comes very naturally to him. And he's very comfortable with that aspect of his music. And it's natural for him.
0: So for our audience, tell them who your husband is.
2: My husband is Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons. He's the singer and songwriter. And he's, being his wife aside, like he's the most prolific person I've ever met. Like it's, it's crazy. I mean, he writes like, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs. And every album ends up being like 20 or less, you know, like 12 songs. And we have such a different workflow, you know, like we both write very quickly, but I'm like a very, like it comes in spurts and then I want to draw for a month and then I want to like make something else for a month and then I want to do something else. And he's very consistent and he's very reliable, consistent, and very palatable, I guess is the word, you know, like when we're talking about his music most of it i mean i hear his obscure stuff that nobody hears that is totally out there and he's like oh i just was feeling this today and then plays like some crazy thing that is i'm like wow that's awesome but no one'll ever hear it you know but that's part of like you know what gets released it's a very successful business and band and they're amazing and what gets released is the stuff that is like palatable and i feel like for me i couldn't play that game and do it in a way that felt honest for me.
0: You know, one of the lines in this, you said that that almost killed you. One of the lines in this, it's almost a biblical line. You say, over time, you can kill me, but I'll resurrect. So na 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 na
2: And that is actually the truth. Like, I mean, I think that's what happens. Like I'm, I persevere and we all do, hopefully. It's
0: not just persevere, resurrect. It's like, there's one big guy who resurrected to my knowledge, like,
2: <laughs> but I think like our life is a series of falling down and getting up again, you know, and that's, those are like little deaths, little deaths that you have to reconcile. And I've done that so many times. And I think that's on a grander scale in life. We do it. But I think also with people, it's like you hurt relationships end, things, you know, stuff happens and you have to recover. You need to come back from it. And that's, kind of what that song, what that part of it was about. But I think on a bigger level, Gravity is a really good example of, you know, that song had a big evolution and it did work out like it's a cool song and I'm glad that we rewrote it and reworked it. But I can't do that with all the material because it doesn't feel right for me. I'm ready to move on. And like the thought is the thought and the feeling is the feeling. And I want to create something different and express something new. And so it's hard for me to fit into the construct of the way that music is made right now. Cause I've written with Dan and and there's some, you know, this, I've had influence on some of like the dragons material here and there, like just because we live together and we write together sometimes my husband, Dan, but I definitely don't want to play that game. Like, I don't want to go into a room and write for other people. Really. I've done a lot of like writing and jumping through hoops and it never feels good. And it kind of killed me. I feel very recovered now.
0: Well, I'm glad you resurrected.
2: I have. And I think too, is a really good example to bring it like more modern, but like to now, but Dan knows me very well. Like this Dan, Epand on the call, knows me very well. Like I've come to a place where I'm expressing more fully than I think I was for a really long time. Like I had this whole phase of solo music and I wrote this album, Sandy, and it was like during when I was pregnant and having babies. And a lot of that, like what came out of me was more tender and soft and quiet and easy. And, and there's a place for that too. But I think like, I feel finally at a place where I'm able to fully express and be myself. And very, I'm very comfortable with that. And I'm very, I love myself now. Maybe that was a part of it, like learning that. And so two feels like for me, I'm really happy in this band, you know, I'm really happy in this dynamic with him. And we hear and see each other. Our communication is really great. And I feel very like heard and seen and expressed. And that's really special, you know?
0: I had a few questions about gravity. i love this line, but maybe you can help me understand its meaning or maybe not. The title line, gravity is a parallel on words. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs)
2: This is another one of those moments where you're like, okay, bad English and poetry kind of coincide. I think that, let's see, gravity is a parallel on words. I think that that was just the meaning of that at the time was really just that like, you know, gravity and words, like words are labels and they are, they hold weight no matter what you think. So how you choose to speak and say something will be perceived how it is heard. And it's kind of stinks that that's, that we are limited to that. You know, we're not like telepathic creatures right now. Maybe we will be someday in our evolution, but right now, you know, you have to communicate with labels. And that is part of what I think this generation now is coming out of actually is like, there will be so much more fluidity in the way that we describe things and the way that we understand things. Like we will be more accepting of things that aren't living outside of a box or a label.
0: Well, you know, that's a lot more than I expected from that (laughs) Well, But
2: it is, it's like, it's, well, the words, I mean, words are, words hold weight and they are labels and that's what our whole reality is based on. You know, you don't just come into the world and decide what something is for yourself and take your own thought for it or word for it. You are taught. And then that is your experience. And our language holds weight. And we're learning now too, that like part of when people talk about like systematic racism and all these things that are like new perspectives on these old ways that have just been Living and living and living on, a lot of it is just language too. And it's how we communicate and how we identify things and boxes we put things in, and how we don't even know the origins of some of the things we say. And that's words, you know? And they're weaponized, they're weapons. And we know that too, very well from watching a president who, like, not to like demonize anyone, but I feel like we've had a major experience of people weaponizing la- language. And really, it's been very at the forefront of our media. And the, the hard thing is that it is very manipulative and it's very painful and hurtful. And now we've really lost perspective on how to kind of relearn things. We're having to rebuild, you know, because of language.
0: Did the exercise of our First Amendment right cause an insurrection and a riot in the Capitol or not? That's being debated as we're recording this. Is it a First Amendment right? You know, there are boundaries on it. You can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater, but, you know.
3: I'm in pain from being numb. It's like my life has just gone. Open up, be shut down. Start again and back around this empty space. Is more than I can take. I'm afraid that I've been played and I don't know what to say. The words get lost along the way to my mouth, from my brain, the tears roll down.
0: So let's turn to one of your new songs from two, where one of the words I find to be, this is such great songwriting because it's a simple change of one of the words. It's called in this rough. And the chorus is like a diamond, like a diamond in this rough. And all you did was change the word the to this, because normally the cliche is like a diamond in the rough. And by changing it from the to this, it profoundly changes the meaning of the phrase and the message of the song. It's just cool.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I think because now we're getting more recent when we start tackling these two songs and they are deeply emotional and very personal. And I totally am fine to discuss all of them. But I think, yeah, I mean, I was going through a rough... (laughs) (laughs) You know, and there was, I think the beauty of In This Rough, oh man, the beauty of that song for me was that song was a turning point for me where the anger turned to forgiveness for what I was going through in my personal life. And it was a journey to get there. There was a surrender that finally just broke through. And I think the reason why in this rough to me and maybe Dan too, why it feels so special is because that surrender does break through in the song and you feel it. You feel the surrender breakthrough because a lot of the music on the record and a lot of what I went through and the music that didn't make the EP that we wrote that we're maybe still grappling with or playing with did come from an angrier place and a more resistant place. And I think that when I finally got to the surrender, it was like the freedom came, like freedom from what I had gone through that felt like my own battle. It was like my own anger, almost like trapping me. And then forgiveness and surrender was like the freedom that I had needed. And in this rough, I saw myself as like the person standing up in the rubble. Like what was my life- before that was gone. And it was like, okay, now I'm here. Now I get to be free. Now I get to start this again and I get to recreate. And there's a freedom in that. It was seeing myself as this like, loving myself and walking out of something that was so painful. And in the song, it says, pull the knife out, baby, there's nothing to forgive. That Is actually the most important phrase to me because I think in my healing from the things that I went through, I realized that I was ultimately responsible for my own pain and that no one else is in control of that. Like everyone is living their life and, you know, falling, if you will, or going through the motions and figuring it out. And we wreak havoc on each other. But my relationship to that is determined by me. And that's a hard pill to swallow because we put ourselves in some pretty tough situations sometimes. And I'm not to say that there are not victims because I would never take that away from someone. It's each person's journey. But for me, being a victim of my circumstances was killing me. And as soon as I became responsible, And it was in, the power was in my hand and I could feel that I took responsibility for the positions I had put myself in. It was like, I could love other people, almost like, what's the word? I could love other people.
0: Unconditionally.
2: Yes, thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm like I know this word, I say I was it all with you. I was yeah, with like, you I, I can love others unconditionally and purely because it's nobody's fault anymore but mine, and I can then learn to heal myself by taking responsibility, picking up the pieces, and saying, "Oh my gosh, like I'm proud of you for fixing this," instead of waiting for other people to make it right.
0: It came from within you.
2: It came from within me.
0: It came from the diamond that was in this rough moment, this rough period, this rough patch in life.
2: Yes. And I can fix this. I'm not here because someone put me here. I'm here because I put myself here. You know, being a victim really puts you in this position where you're like you're really angry at someone. Like you're angry that you're here. You're angry at these, you know, who put you here. And I shouldn't have had to be in this position. And I, you know, and I... This is my personal experience. Again, I want to reemphasize that because it is, I never want to take someone's victimhood away from them because there are victims in the world that, and there are people who have had really brutal, awful things happen to them. My circumstances, I'm speaking only of my circumstances. (laughs) I want to make that very clear. My circumstances are that I needed to take the power into my own hands and stop victimizing myself in order to gain respect, love, honor stand up forgiveness and then ultimately unconditional love for myself and others and that is really where the transformation came was in that song was like the expressed you know transformation for me
0: so pull the knife out baby is not you talking to someone else it's you talking to yourself
2: yeah i mean it's me and him there is nothing that needs to be forgiven. It's all okay. Even to say there's something that needs to be forgiven to me. It's not that I wasn't acknowledging the experiences that I'd gone through, but it was that like, they happened for a reason and you did what you did because you used your tools and your life. You made your choices and it was to your best ability. And by me saying that this was a mistake or that this was a, Accident or this awful thing, like by acknowledging that there was something to forgive, would be dishonoring the path that this other person had to go on in order to find the highest truth. You know, it's a hard place to get to because I think that devastating things happen and I don't want to like take away from that. What happened in my life, you know, my husband and I went through a big separation. It was very blindsiding and I had three small children and I was really um, displaced and I was really angry and upset for a long time. And I wasn't able to even see his journey and his existential kind of battle going on and his own experiences and his life. I couldn't really see it. I couldn't see how deeply I knew how deeply it had affected our life because it was not a new topic. The things that he was grappling with, but the way with which he dealt, it was almost like he had tried everything. And the last thing that was left to try for him was to go figure it out. And you could judge that a million times over. I had friends that were so upset with me after we reconciled our differences and figured it out. And their judgment really actually never bothered me that much because... My journey was just so profound for me and it was so amazing to get to a place where I could realize that I was where I was because of the experiences and that I needed to figure something out for myself and I couldn't do it next to him at the time because it was it was a lot to have the his band blow up the way it did and mine kind of fall apart and then children and you know feeling like a kid too in all of it and just not really knowing how to handle all of it. So I've gone so far down this path and it's such a long conversation. I don't want to sideswipe the entire podcast and the time.
0: Well, I think your words are helpful, Asia. You know, I think a lot of people go through these things in their marriages and in their partnerships in life and everybody has rough patches both personally and interpersonally. And so how you got through it, I think is helpful.
2: I think we also, you know, we're not super private people because we live a pretty normal life and we're, I don't know, we're just regular folks. And so I think we're not super protected and we both came from very different upbringings and, um, you know, my husband was raised in a Mormon family and a very Mormon community, which we're very close with. And it's been an interesting navigating it from the beginning because I'm also a very open-minded, very spiritual person. And so we connect on a deep level because we both have, a like, we just both have sort of a deeply spiritual connection to each other. And I don't know, I guess... I have an understanding that, you know, when he was going through what he went through and will probably continue to go through for a long time, it's like he's figuring it out, his life himself, who he is, and I'm doing the same in my own way. And I guess what I've learned is helpful for us is for me to just, I love him deeply. I don't need him to be anything for me. I don't need him to resolve my issues or be something. I don't have an expectation on him to show up and be a specific person. I just, I love him and I will love him from far away. Or if we want to be to, if he wants to be with me, I'll love him, love him next to me. I'm not looking to him to be a solution for me. And I think that's the biggest thing I got out of our separation was learning how to be the solution for myself. And loving myself and respecting myself and respecting his journey, loving him. And I think that our marriage is very strong because of that. And I think it's always a work in progress, but I really try to stay true to the idea that there's this, that we are like two people walking next to each other through this life and raising these beautiful, amazing children that are gifts from the universe. They're gifts to the world. And I think that's the best I can do. And the best advice I could even offer for anyone in marriage is just really watch your expectations because I think they can become kind of a prison, you know, for you and for others. And I think what you can control really ends at the end of tip of your nose. So
0: (laughs) how did your husband react when you sang him the song the first time?
2: I mean, he's amazing. We write a lot of music about each other and My music during that time was very, like, some of it was pretty hard, you know, to listen and digest for him and painful. Like this song was painful for him to listen to, but he knows, and he knows that I've, that we're okay. And he also knows that I love him so much. And I know that he's been through so much and I respect it and it's okay. And I'm not expecting him to be perfect. So I guess with that, he feels safe. He doesn't feel attacked There's no need to do that, you know, but is there like, yeah, I mean, if I'm going to release the music, it tells a story and it's part of a process, right? It's part of a process. It's not, I didn't land on the anger. So thank goodness for that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't land on the anger, you know, it was part of the journey. And so I think he respects that too, you know, I'm sure there will be more love songs written about him as well. So He'll get those too.
0: Let's hope so. Let's hope you both write love songs about <laughs> each other that we all can listen to because we do enjoy the work that you two create.
4: I was in danger. Christmas night. And you are a stranger. I put up a fight, but I was defeated And it wasn't quite right, it wasn't quite right You were checked out from the moment that you pulled away I was reaching for you, but you didn't hear a word It wasn't right And your behavior
0: So you're a cage fighter. One of the things I love about the video, I'm a cage fighter is when you jump up on Dan's drum set, which seems to be like a, a signature performance move for you.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, man, i I just love connecting with Dan. You know, the drums are hard because there's this big barricade between you and the person you're performing with. But I think we really broke that down in Nico Vega. And sometimes I would get up there and play the drums or, you know, I would go behind and play drums next to him or just to really break past that barrier that was between us. And I feel like it's a signature move only so that we can really connect, you know, and that's nice. So yeah, but Cage Fighter that that's an example of a song that was really written in the middle of that journey, you know. I was really angry when I wrote that song and I was remembering things that I was really upset about and I was kind of using it to empower myself. A lot of times when I feel that empowered sort of almost like bubbling anger and ferocity, it's like it's to it's self-empowerment in a way, you know.
0: Yeah, your voice has been described as a war cry which I kind of like sometimes, but I don't like the concept of war, but a battle cry or, you know, you definitely have a call to arms and this song with its power chords, you know, in the first verse, just, and the thumping, percussive backbeat just leads you to this rave up explosion and battle. And, you know, you guys together do this so well, this sort of build up to this explosive release.
2: Mm, Thank you so much.
0: And it's really fun to listen to.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's primal, I think, for both Dan and I. It's like, I think that that's something that like live performance and uh, the, I want to say, collaboration brings between us. And I think the reason why sometimes I'm just not as fulfilled when I do like my solo stuff or work alone. Like I just, I love that like collaboration. I love bouncing that energy off of Dan. And I love that we together kind of can tap into this like sort of primal thing that just is such a release. Ultimately, like we were kind of watching one of our old shows, which we don't really do. Like, it's not like we sit around and watch old shows. (laughs) Cause we just, we really actually have only ever done it. Like maybe what Dan twice in the last, like however many years, but we watched this old show and, and it was like, so invigorating to like tap back into that, like primal energy that just starts like emanating. And I think that's what I miss so much about live performance.
1: You know, the whole time that we were in Nico Bay, you never, it's like you were in it. And you never really kind of were able to experience from the audience's perspective. And I I think it took several years away for me to actually like step away from it long enough to appreciate what we did.
0: It's a little bit like, you you know, you don't always like listening to the sound of your own recorded voice. This is only, it's that on steroids, actually watching your performance in 3D on video must be something like that. It's like, did I actually do that?
1: I was saying to Asia like that, you know, there was a period of time when Nico Vega was ending and all you could talk about were the the bad things, like the negative things. It's like the that just kind of took over the experience. You know, it's like there's hurt involved. There's blame. You know, it's I think that's what when bands when bands end, it's really it's just when it's like the finger pointing just kind of takes over. And I think it just, it took that, you know, kind of period away. And I was saying that I never really kind of mourned the good parts of it. And I think when, you know, this video that she's talking about, I, was, I had this, this random experience and it made me really emotional to kind of watch because it's, it's all of a sudden you're like, well, this is a different lifetime. This is a different person. This is a different thing. And here, I, here Age and I, we're still doing we're still doing it, but it's a different thing.
0: Well, here's the deal, Dan. All the Beatles made great music after the Beatles went on to individual things. Stevie Nicks made great albums after Fleetwood Mac. Glenn Frey, Don Henley made great albums after the Eagles. And I bet Kanye West makes a great album after Kim Kardashian, too. (laughs) So you guys
1: have made a great album here. Well, thanks, man. Well, hopefully we'll we'll get to perform it. At some point.
2: And honestly, uh, I don't think that, I mean, maybe I'm speaking too soon, but I just, I think that, you know, we're on great terms with the guitar player of Nico Vega. And I'm, I hope that someday we get to collaborate again, the three of us, because it is a special dynamic between the three of us. And I think when we're together, even just hanging out, I can feel that energy. We've been through a lot together. And I think... There was just a a number of things that broke the band up, but I think the love was always there. That was one thing that was probably the hardest thing to leave. That was the hardest thing to let go of for me anyway. And I I think probably for Dan, for you too, you know, Um, the loyalty, the love, just the special connection, you know, there were a lot of other things that ended the band as well, you know, the journey, the hard, the hardness, the hard, the hard road that it takes, you know, to be a relentless musician.
1: Well, and it takes, it takes a, a, you know, I mean, a band is like any relationship that, you know, you get better at as you get older, but it's, you know, a, a constant communication and series of problem solving and getting you know i mean it's it's kind of a completely unnatural thing, and I mean, it's like if you look at music right now bands bands are not something that kids even really know about. it's you know it's you know now it's one man operations who are making songs under you know under under names or or it's a two people like us, kind of bedroom producer projects that then you kind of assemble a band for for live or for touring.
0: Yeah, no, it's Bruno Mars, Taylor Swift, Justin Timberlake, Lady Gaga.
1: Well, I mean, I'm not even talking, I'm talking like MGMT. They were kind of the first, but now, I mean, that's kind of in like alternative. That's really all that exists.
0: Well, the radio's gone for, to support this stuff.
1: Right. And it's just not necessary. You know, music isn't made the same way. It's like, you know, Nico Vega, we would go into a practice room, the three of us, and we would write. And we would, I would like have this little tape recorder just so we could remember what we worked on. You know, nowadays there isn't a band that's not on some level uh, self-producing and starting to learn the art of engineering and recording and producing. And I mean, it's just come so far since we were doing what we were doing with Nico Vega. Bands aren't a; pr- it's just not a practicality. And the point I'm making is that it's just the, to keep three people who are different, of different backgrounds, different different levels of communication. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's really, really hard and bands that can survive, you know, like 30, 40 years. I mean, you know, obviously most of those, there's a lot of money on the table that makes it worthwhile, but it is a challenge. It's a challenge for all of them.
2: It's a second marriage, you know, I mean, it's, or a first marriage for some, but you know, it's, it's a, that's part of it too. Like marriage takes so much work. Well, then when you're in a band, you're like married to two or three people or sometimes more. And it is not an easy relationship to keep, you know, Look how hard marriage is, <laughs> you know, so.
1: You know, you can't control anybody. You can't tell, you can't tell anybody who to be or what to do. Um, and so to maintain a unified vision, it is really hard.
2: Through all that growth. Yeah. And life experience. Exactly.
1: And, and, you know, people, people change and it's like, you know, I mean, I think after in the wake of Nico Vega, I had to do a lot of like introspection. And I mean, one of the things I really thought about was just that you have to lead by example. You can't kind of tell anybody how to be, or, you know, it's like if, yeah, for it to work, I mean, you can't, it's just, people are either on the train or they're not, you can't really tell somebody you know it's like there's certain people or you it, like it's where the where there's one driving force and one artist and what they say goes but that's not really a band you know and that's not not what nico vega was nico vega was three strong personalities kind of uh figuring out how to operate under the same roof and you know, as great as it was at times. And it was, there was a lot of fire and a lot of strong wills. And that's kind of a hard thing to maintain. And, you know, even for me and Asia, it's like, we're, the reason it works is because we both, we are both really good communicators. We're both really honest and we're both really good at admitting when we're wrong. And we're both, you know, I'm probably better than Asia at that <laughs> <laughs>
0: amazing everybody but, thinks they are right um, yeah. i'm totally
1: i'm totally kidding usually i'm wrong but um
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so actually this gets to one of the other songs on your album by 2 and that is live forevermore which is also sometimes called feel my forgiveness and i do think that forgiveness is a key component to the equation in what you're talking
3: about Two, Feel my forgiveness For I'm just a witness You can not destroy me I'll live forevermore I remember when I was five years old And I didn't like change And I didn't want to grow old And cry in my bed for all the other kids who... Didn't have a bed and who didn't have a fridge and someone took my innocence and passed it around like a communal joint in a communal town and here I am Many years gone by and I barely have a boundary but a lot of pain in my eyes And if there's one thing I've learned it's that women are good. They're too good to fight back But maybe they should Feel my forgiveness, for I'm just a witness. You can't destroy me, i live forevermore. See, no one's a victim, but everyone's in the game, and you choose your own adventure, and then reckon with the pain. It's the loneliness we feel on this crowded little ball, or the loneliness we won't feel and we just continue to fall. Being a part of something bigger makes some of us feel small, but maybe that's the point, so we don't try to do it all. You see, perfection's a lie, and we need to tell the truth, because honesty ain't ugly, it's humanity's blue. Feel my forgiveness, for I'm just a witness. You can't destroy me, I'll live forevermore. Be my forgiveness, for I'm just a witness. You can't destroy me, i live forever more. And ever, and ever, and
2: ever, and ever, and ever. So I love that song. And that song actually was kind of stepping out of just the personal issue of my own personal relationship into more of a perspective on maybe my relationship to men in general and feeling the maybe lifelong journey of being a woman that, you know, as a younger person was maybe violated and then throughout Different times of my life have experienced different levels of violation and, um, kind of writing like, a some closure to that, maybe some forgiveness for me and that this journey through my healing of my separation actually helped heal a lot of my, um, lifelong earlier traumas, you know, and that was more maybe in alignment with the whole Me Too movement too, you know, like, speaks to more of that kind of, I guess, issue and part of my life, you know.
0: The song's a nursery rhyme of sorts, and I thought there was, for me, this sense of motherhood in your voice, your lyrical voice here, kind of telling a story maybe for your own children.
2: But also maybe recognizing that as a woman, like, I was once, you know, the victim of certain things. And then you become the mother, you become the wife, the mother, you know, and grow up. And I think it's just that whole journey. And then you're, yeah, you're singing, protecting your, I'm constantly thinking about how to protect my daughters or my children from some of the things that inevitably will, they'll bump into you know, and and throughout life. And I think forgiveness is such a powerful tool because it, like I said before, it puts the power in your hand. I feel with forgiveness, you know, releasing yourself from it. You know, you find these people who have been through things like have gone to prison or had really a hard, maybe a, a wrongful conviction. I don't know if you've ever like watched something with someone who experienced a wrongful conviction and then did time for it. Right. And you're like, how, yeah, or how I they- listen
0: to that serial podcast, you know, yeah, you yeah. feel like the guy's innocent. And you're you like, know?
2: how do you, how do they forgive it? Or someone whose daughter was killed and then they come face to face with the daughter's killer or, and you're like, how, how? And it's really to like be set free because forgiveness sets you free. You know, it it just releases you. It's a surrender. It's a, when you really get to that place, it's, it feels so good to just be able to, to let go of that and to maybe, you know, part of my forgiveness was also just acknowledging that like, we live in a world that like, it's a hard world and people don't always get a good example of how to move through life. And when you're traumatized as a child, for some reason or another, like Your relationship to the world is through the filter of that trauma. And so then we hurt other people. There's still a little kid in there that, you know, is acting out and now they're a grown man, you know, or whatever. And and I'm not saying to like dismiss the actions, but I'm just saying like the world is broken. We have issues and it sets people up. Maybe there's some entity, like someone comes in a certain way sometimes and it's like, there's nothing you can do and they can be, have everything go perfect. And then they're Ted Bundy or something. And I know that that's, (laughs) you know, I've heard a lot about like how he had like this perfect childhood and.
1: But that's not what you're, that's, that's not what you're talking about. I mean, what's interesting.
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: Well, what's interesting is, you know, there's a lot of people who would be really upset with that, with, with the whole notion. Mm -hmm. of forgiveness Mm
3: -hmm.
1: you know i mean i've I've had conversations with people where it's like how could you get how could you you can't free
0: and it's unforgivable
1: yeah and you know and i think it's it's true and that's something i've you know i I don't know kind of where it comes from whether it's just from asia and i talking about this concept over the years but for me personally like there's one or two times where i've cut that person out of my life, you know, or it's like, I'm, you know, I'm just not going to make that mistake again. And it never, it just, it never feels good. Like that solution for me has never been a solution, you know, to, uh, to not forgive. Whereas, yeah, there is so much more, I mean, there's so much more peace in, in letting go of, of anger in that way.
0: This is a great song for us to,
3: uh,
0: it's a great message for all of us to embrace. To feel forgiveness and they'll help you live forevermore.
1: And I'll add one thing that, you know, she sent that as a voice memo. It was like she was clearly outside. You could hear birds chirping and cars driving by. And it was just an iPhone recording. And, you know, I really, as a producer, struggled with whether we just release that iPhone recording or do we produce it? Do we finish out that track? And, you know, do we get uh, a gang vocal of, of women singers? I mean, I, you know, you kind of, your head goes, explores the options and, you know, hopefully I really tried to find kind of a middle ground where it still kind of maintained the, the feeling of, of sitting outside uh, singing a song and having it be personal while, mm-hmm. you know, making it an actual produced recording
0: i so it. what was the feeling you were going for dan
1: oh i mean i wanted to a hundred percent maintain what would be the innocence and kind of the the simplicity of someone playing a song for themselves but at the same time you know speaking to that you know i mean i think asia has the ability to be a voice for people women men but people have always been really drawn to her message and have looked to her for as as you know a bit of a leader in that respect and and this song really felt like it had an important message and i hadn't really heard anybody else kind of capture the sentiment of if you want to call it the me too moment but hadn't really captured it in such a, a perfectly poetic beautiful and authentic way and i just didn't want to Mess it up. <laughs> and I wanted to make <laughs> That's sure. It's a good that goal went, to went, have, went, right? Yeah, Let's you know. not well, I mean, up. it is. I mean, it's like there's, there, that is, uh you know, when, when you're kind of handed something that is, and it was a little bit with that in this rough too. I remember feeling that way too. I was like, man, this is, this is something that is, I feel like the message of the vocal is, it's like sometimes you just, you know, it's nailed. And I figure Asia nailed both of those. It's about being sensitive and, you know, adding what you can to bring the song to life and to give it a vibe. But all, you know, at at the same time, you just don't. It's like you want to make sure that what's special about the song comes through in the end. And you don't have people who are like, the guitar is too loud, I can't hear the vocals, (laughs) you know, or something. (laughs) You know, so it's, it's you know, a matter of like, putting together a puzzle that in the end needs to support and point to the lyrics and the vocal and, and just kind of moving the train along down the track and keeping people moving. In the end, we really, I mean, I had the guitar player who uh, recorded, uh, we set up a mic outside. So you were kind of getting the acoustic guitar and you were capturing the street noise at the same time. So I really tried to remain true to that demo.
0: Well, Danny Penn and Asia Folkman from the band, too. I really have to thank you for coming on Backstory Song. This has really been a treat and a pleasure for me, for you to share your personal soul-bearing uh, stories. Uh, it's really a, a treasure for our listeners. Is there anything you want to plug, say, promote?
2: I want to say thank you so much for having us. It was a really wonderful, you're right, safe space to talk about things. and. I definitely felt like I was sometimes I can really ramble. And it was nice to have a space where it felt like that was actually needed and wanted (laughs) instead of, you know.
0: That's what we try to bring here, backstory song.
2: Well, thank you.
1: I mean, it was a nice trip down memory lane. It's funny to, you know, kind of revisit some of the the older songs because you really forget, you know, you even forget that those songs exist. To be honest,
0: <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just, it's like, you know,
1: if something's out of your brain for a couple of years, it's like, it's, it's like a distant memory. It, it's like, doesn't even belong to you.
0: Um, well, your fans can't forget them. And we're grateful that you came on our show. I have to thank DJ Wyatt Schmidt.
1: Thanks Wyatt.
2: Thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you, MCO and my social media director. And thank you to our listeners. Please share the Spotify playlist so these artists can get paid. And please share this episode so our listeners can learn about some more great music. Thank you very much.
2: All right, thank you. Thanks thank for you. having us.